Good morning. My name's Kirk Wood. Welcome back to the Hear and Obey series. I'm one of the pastors here at Southridge. If you can bear with me today, I have a very scratchy, sore throat. So if you hear some clacking going on, it's because I have a cough drop in my mouth, because if I don't, I don't think we're going to make it through this morning. If you can't tolerate that, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, So if you're visiting with us today, then we want to just tell you thanks for being here, express a particular welcome to you. And our hope today, honestly, our hope is when we, when we plan a service, when we pray as a team, our hope is that, that everybody is ministered to. And so if you're visiting with us today, we hope that's the case for you through our worship music and as we dive into God's word today and see what he has to say to us. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Brent introduced us uh, to the series, uh, the Hear and Obey series, with this message called Hear and Believe. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to go home today. It is on our website. It's available at southridgefellowship.ca. I would encourage you to go home and listen to it because there were some great things in there and it connects with today's message. Now, if you were here, you might remember that Brent said something along the line of this. He said, God did not design us to live a life of falsehood and of sin. He said that truly healthy relationships, both human relationships with one another and also our relationship with our heavenly father can't flourish if lies and sin are a part of the dynamic because sin and lies break trust. Stands to reason, right? It makes sense. And when trust is broken, then the potential for conflict and disunity and unsettledness kind of come into the picture. Think about your, your own relationships with people. Um, like me, you've probably been lied to you've probably been lied about. And you've probably experienced the relational disconnect that happens when that has occurred. And possibly the relationship suffered, maybe for a long time, maybe the relationship is still suffering. Perhaps again, like me, you've been the one who damaged the relationship. Perhaps you've said or done things, made choices that hurt someone that you loved and cared about. Well, if you have, you're not alone. Now, if you've never damaged a relationship and you've never sinned, then congratulations. You're among a very small group of people who have successfully mastered the art of believing their own lies. (laughs) Which I would point out to you is a sin, so you might want to rethink that position for a second. Now, the Bible teaches since the beginning that all of humanity has struggled with sin. And if you've read the book of Genesis, then possibly you're familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, where we see on display God's first classroom for teaching obedience demonstrated in the lives of Adam and Eve. If you're familiar with it, then you know that God gave them permission to eat of any tree in the garden, save one. When they disobeyed, no surprise there, Sin and the consequences for it entered the world, proving costly for them, uh, damaging their relationship with God, leading to punishment, individual consequences for man, for woman, and for all mankind since that time. And since then, the Bible teaches that we have continued to fail this test of obedience to God when we choose to identify with the pattern of original sin, perpetuating what started in the garden continues with us Today, every time we disobey, engaging in a life of sin that that doesn't honor God. And so, fast forward a few thousand years, and last week, Brent reminded us that if we've placed our trust and our faith in Christ, believing in him, 
that that decision, when we came to faith in Christ, began a personal relationship connection to God. It reestablished a connection to God. And we'll see that today when we, when we get to the text and what we're going to examine today. But what I really hope we see is this. What I really hope we get is that it was Jesus Christ who modeled this submissive obedience to his Father and then set that as the example for us to follow. He didn't say, follow a man. He said, follow me. And so we have this example of, of Jesus following God, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you're a Christian, uh, then I would say that to your willingness to hear and obey Jesus as Lord is crucial to maintaining a healthy relationship connection with God and introducing others to Christ because nobody wants to follow a fraud. In fact, that's probably the complaint we hear most is that I don't want to, you know, I'm not interested in Christianity because Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Nobody wants to follow a, a fraud. And so our obedience to God is crucial in terms of evangelizing, sharing other, with other people what God has done in us. Now, if you're not a Christian, there's good news. That, and that is this, that this unity and separation for, from God are not what he wants for you. In fact, uh, he sent Jesus so that everyone, of everyone, it's a pretty all-encompassing word, right? So that everyone who believes would be, uh, would be reconciled to God, could have relationship with God through Jesus. Now, turn, if you will, to John chapter 14. We're going to look at a verse here in a second. We're not going to read the whole chapter, or the, yeah, the whole chapter, but if we did, here's what we would see in the, in the verses leading up to where we'll be. We would see Jesus reassuring his disciples that he is their path, their connection to God. We would see him say that he is actually the revelation of the Father to humanity, God's revelation of himself to humankind. We would also see Jesus say to them, you can safely place your faith in me. Because it's God who has set Jesus, sent and set Jesus before them. And then he'll say that he actually speaks to them on behalf of the Father. And then Jesus gives them, right after those reassurances, he says this, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Obedience. Obey. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Simple, right? Easy. How hard can it be? Pretty hard. Uh, he, he, he just told them he's from the Father. He told them he's one with the Father. He told, he told them that he speaks the words of the Father. And then these assertive words that loving me means obeying me. Words that if true, who does he speak for? The Father, words that if true are also from the Father. And so if you're a parent, you probably get this on some level. You get this obedience thing on some level. Uh, we know that our kids love us. I hope we do. We know that our kids love us. And, and we know that even when they disobey, even when they're disrespectful, even when they're cantankerous and rude, they still love us. We know that. But we feel loved we feel loved by them when we can see in the example of how they choose to honor us with their words, how they choose to submit when they don't want to. We feel loved when we see their obedience in action. Well, in another of John's writings, a little bit for, in, in actually 1 John, he defines uh, obedience to God through Christ in a general sense. And then he says this, he bases it in terms of rejecting sin as an attachment to the devil. Now listen to this in, in, from 1 John. Everyone who sins breaks the law. If you don't know what the law is, think 
10 commandments here for the sake of simplicity. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, he says, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. He came so that he might take away our sins. And then it says, and in him, this is how he's able to take away our sin, in him is no sin. No one who, who lives in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. That sounds scary. That sounds like if we've come to faith, we no longer sin. We're fixed. A little further on in, in, in 1 John as well, he ties in this connection between loving God to keeping his commands when he says this. This, it's just simple here. This is love for God. You want to define it? This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, it says. Now, I don't know if you would agree that all of God's commands, that his call to obedience are entirely free of burden because here's what I think. I think sometimes our humanity overwhelms us. I think sometimes our lust for whatever it is trumps our obedience to God and that's when we enter into sin. And so sometimes it's hard, but God says nonetheless that obedience is available to us if our love for him is strong and healthy. Back to relational connection. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't resist the opportunity to have a little fun, mostly with Brent, uh, but to have a little fun with you and share it with you this morning. Now, as some of you know, um, those of you who know me, you know that I refereed ice hockey for a long time. I refereed major junior hockey in the Western Hockey League. I refereed professional ice hockey for a long time. And so like an actor who's kind of been typecast in a particular role, think like Sean Connery as James Bond, for example, I, I think it's a little funny that the pastor on our staff who was a referee is the one standing here today talking to you about obedience. Because I mean, we're black and white, right? Is the picture on the screen? <laughs> right? That looks like encouraging, right? Soft, gentle, please obey, right? I think it's a little funny that I'm the one standing here um, because like I said, referees were black and white and that's certainly true of me. I'm a pretty black and white guy. Uh, and so that picture of me in my BC Hockey League referees jersey with that rigid expression and those forceful words behind me, I think it's a little heavy on the do what I said motif, right? As if I've never sinned, as if I don't have any struggles inside of me, as if the devil doesn't wreak havoc in my life. But that's not true. That's not true. If you know me, you know I have my sin struggles. Well, to be fair, like the role of a referee in a hockey, unlike the role of a referee in a hockey game, there's nobody here today, there are no human authorities here today who don't struggle with this because obedience, the truth is obedience to God and God's word is an area of growth for each one of us, right? There's no one here, my, my pastor at my last church used to say, there's nobody here except us sinners saved by grace. Now before we move on from referees, there's something you should know about them. Suppress your urge to throw in pokes and jabs there. The truth is that we can be a little dirty when we take off the referee jersey and we put on a playing jersey. The truth is, um, I quit playing hockey at 21 for that very reason, because I had a hard time um, participating in the same way that I required others to participate, if you will. See, even though I was a better than average skater from the time I was a little kid, I started skating at two, wearing those little bob skates with two blades side by side. Really, it was like controlled toddling and sometimes uncontrolled falling. But I started skating when I was really young. And by the time I was five, six, seven, I was a really good skater. And so even though I was a better than average skater than most kids my age, I was born with cinder blocks, cement blocks for hands. 
no ability to control the puck whatsoever, no awareness of, of the play and what was going on on the ice. I was a good skater who was horrifically bad at the game of hockey. And so I never played high-level hockey, but that didn't stop me from being extremely competitive. Like, if you looked at me, you would go, wow, he's super competitive for a guy who hasn't got a clue what he's doing. I was the guy who, on the back check, which I only, re I only learned when I started refereeing, I didn't know what the term back check meant until I became a referee, I was the guy who, on the back check, who would swing his stick somewhere between medium and hot sauce at you if you had the puck. I was the guy, you like that, good. I was the guy who, who in the slot would work you over like whack, 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 because I wanted to win. I was the guy who'd go into the corner and I was just a tad aggressive in the corner, considering that what I was playing was recreational hockey. And so while my coaches admired my spunk, I spent a fair bit of time in the sin bin. It's true. Now, here's the thing. I took things personally when somebody applied those same tactics to me. I didn't like it when somebody took liberties with me or took a whack at me. And so I realized slowly that my personality is actually better suited as one who encourages others to play the game the way it's intended. With ferocity, yes. I love fierce competition, but, but with respect and fairness for your opponents as being, uh, as, as never compromising the integrity of the game. Your, your appetite to win can never compromise the integrity of the game. There's just no place in hockey for dirty. And so my approach to officiating sets this as a condition. You will respect your opponents. You will respect the officials and the volunteers and the coaches, including your coach. You will respect one another. That's the condition. And so Jesus makes it plain here in, this t in our verse today, in John 14, 15. He says this. He says that our love for him also has a set condition. That our love for him is based on, reflected by, our obedience to him. So here, simply said, the measure of our love for Christ is set to the condition of our obedience to Christ. How much do you love Jesus? How much do you obey him? How much do I love Jesus? How willing am I to lay down what I want and to do what he says and to honor him in that way? So a key question for us has to be, what does it mean to obey Christ? What does it mean? I mean, it, it has to be, sarcasm implied here. It has to be about the rules, right? It has to be about keeping the rules, the do's and the don'ts. There, and there has to be a list somewhere. There's got to be a list. And if there's a list, then there's got to be a referee. There's got to be a guy who puts on that jersey and who stares us down and who, strictly, who strictly enforces the minimum standards. There has to be, right? That's what Christianity is all about, right? Here are the rules. Do what they say. Do this. Don't do that. And if you do that, under no circumstances, ever do that. And if you do, <laughs> sorry, Michelle, you get whistled, right? For those of you who are staring at your Bible, my apologies for the tachycardia that just hit you. Under no circumstances ever, if you ever do that. And if you do, you get whistled. Think about it in the context of a hockey game. If the players depart from, from what's safe and fair and legal and respectful, then we expect, as spectators, coaches, participants, we expect that the referees are going to step in and they're going to do something to reestablish order. 
They're going to reset the condition for respect, keep things healthy. And, and the truth is, when we see Tommy fouled by Joey in the corner, we want the referee to do something. We want the referee to call the penalty, particularly if it benefits our team. But we're not nearly as concerned if Team Canada over in the corner away from the puck skates on a cross-check and, and don't get whistled for it, right? We're not nearly as concerned about that. We might holler like banshees when, we, when somebody sends Crosby to the, to the box because he's our guy and that's our team. But we're not nearly so concerned if he gets away with it. Is the same true in the church? Is it true in Christian circles? Is it true in you and your relationship with people? Are we so concerned with requiring to the letter full obedience on the part of others that we're unwilling to dress a pastor up in a referee's jersey and whack people with the rule book and whistle them offside when they step out of bounds? Is that what we want? At the same time, do we hope that that pastor referee doesn't see us over in the corner dishonoring God, disrespecting our wife, mistreating our kids, because we don't want to get whistled for that. A referee with selective eyesight. And you're gonna, somebody's going to say, don't they all have selective eyesight? <laughs> Perhaps that's been your experience in church. Perhaps that's been your experience with Christians. Perhaps the people you know who call themselves followers of Jesus are more concerned about how well do you obey than they are how well do they submit. But I don't think that's what Jesus is calling our attention to here. The writer of Matthew says this. He encourages that our focus in regard to obedience should be on our own, not our neighbors. He said, you hypocrites, first take the two by four, the plank, out of your own eye and then worry about your neighbor and the speck of dust in his eye. Then you will be able to help him or her. See, well, worry about the fact that you're walking around with a beam sticking out of your head. Worry about ourselves. There was a day in the not distant past when professional ice hockey looked more like a Saturday night cage match than it did a contest of finesse and speed and athleticism and skill. When the Broad Street bullies and the Boston Bruins uh, were the thugs who ruled the ice and disobedience to the rules were the norm. And some people look back on that and some of you are here today and God bless you, I love you, but you're wrong. Some people look back on that and they say, those were the good old days of hockey. That was old time hockey, right? Rock em, sock em. Knock them into the third row of the bleachers. But here's the problem. Just like embracing that style of competition in hockey today, it really says that we prefer when the goons and the thugs ruled the ice. And it ended many careers, and many of them early. And our disobedience to God, similarly, says that we would rather have the old covenant back. We would rather have the law applied to us. And what I mean by the old covenant, if you don't know what it is, you can read about it in the first five books of the Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. But simply, basically, it's the Ten Commandments and a whole... Uh, assortment of other things that God laid down for the Israelites. And if we still lived under that old covenant today, we would suffer the, number one, the natural consequences or the immediate consequences of our sins. And we do for things like, if you think about drunkenness, someone who drinks to excess, they deal with things like cirrhosis or nausea or whatever. The loss of a relationship for infidelity would be an immediate consequence. Uh, damage to your relationship and your personal integrity for office gossip, th those would be immediate consequences. But we'd also suffer, number two, the delayed consequences for our sin. And under the law, that was up to death by stoning. Now that's not to say that 
the sin of others doesn't affect us. Cain's sin, if you know the story of Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain's sin very much affected his brother because Cain chose in his jealousness and his bitterness to kill his brother. And so I would say Abel was rather affected by the sin of his brother. But what makes the old covenant unique is that both the immediate and the delayed consequences fell on the individual sinner squarely and swiftly because every individual who sinned against God under the old covenant was brought to justice quickly. And my guess is that if we took a survey that we wouldn't opt for that system today, we'd be gathering a bunch of rocks if we did. As Jesus followers, though, Christians, we believe that he is the mediator of what's called the new covenant, meaning that Jesus' death on the cross frees those of us who believe in him from suffering the delayed consequences of our sin, death for our sin. And so, yes, we're still judged for our sins. We will still give an account to the Lord for the, cho the choices we made in this life. And yes, we will still suffer the consequences of them in this life, but Christ died to free us from the eternal punishment, the delayed consequence of our sin. And this is what's central to the message of the gospel, that Jesus is established as, as the hope for humanity, for forgiveness, for salvation, and for reconciliation and an eternity with God. That's essentially the message of the gospel. So what about remaining consequences? See, and that, that actually takes us to another interesting part of the obedience conversation. Obedience is, it doesn't just happen. We know that. If you've had any experience with it, you know that obedience doesn't just happen. It's not automatic. It has to be learned. It has to be consciously, thoughtfully, deliberately, and sometimes painfully practiced. Sometimes it's hard to obey. Sometimes it will cost you something to obey the Lord. Sometimes it will cost you a relationship to obey God. Sometimes it will cost you money to obey God. Taxes. And so putting that into practice, it, our attitudes and our actions become very important. Think of a child, for example. No child ever born had to be taught how to say forcefully, selfishly, no! Right? And Ugh, the scowl and the st foot stomp, right? No child ever had to be taught how to do that or say that. If you're a parent, you've probably seen this disobedience on display, possibly in your own child, possibly recently at a happy home near you. <laughs> possibly your toddler, uh, adorable at other times, in his or her rage was so filled with gusto and gumption and in all his or her glory, uh, decided to put this on full display as you were shopping at Save-On Foods last week or standing in line at the bank so that everybody around could marvel at what an amazing parent you must be. Now, if you're a teen or a preteen, maybe you recall the last time disobedience welled up and boiled over in you. Adults, you don't get to skate for free here either, sticking with hockey. You don't get to skate here for free because... You know, like, for example, maybe fussing with your spouse and, I don't know, yelling at each other at a traffic light or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and I'm not judging others, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to say offside. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So think about a recent example where you straddled that line or where you were just, say, a tad offside in terms of disobedience, as if you can be a tad offside. You're either obedient or you're not, right? So whether, whether, think about it. Whether it's the way you drive, some of you, some of us, maybe it's, it's how you respond to your boss. Maybe it is how you view taxes and your willingness to pay them or not. I don't know. Maybe it's selfishness in your marriage. Maybe there's an element there where God is calling you to obey. Maybe it's a disobedience to another of God's commands. But the reality is this, whether any of those stuck to you or not, we're all guilty of disobedience to God. And so here's the other side of it. Maybe sometimes, and hopefully, because we're walking with the Lord, if we're walking with the Lord, there ought to be evidence of change. Perhaps we've caught ourselves before disobedience welled up in us and passed our vocal cords and became an outward expression that other people then went, wow, and you love Jesus? Perhaps you caught it before. Perhaps your attitude, you were able to check it and restrain it and pull it back in. Maybe you obeyed mom or dad or teacher in the situation you're thinking about. Maybe you even managed to suppress the grumble or the huff or the foot stomp or the scoff or the eye roll. Maybe your heart responded positively. Maybe you responded gladly to whoever the authority was in the situation that you're now imagining because human relationships and our obedience in those is important, not as important. Well, yes, it is. It's, it's as important as obedience to God because if we don't obey the authorities that God has established in our life, then we don't obey God. We dishonor him. And so whatever the case, this is the point. Obedience is a choice. Obedience is a choice and it's not always an easy one, but obedience to God is what most powerfully proclaims our allegiance to Christ. The author of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He says that he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Not that he sinned at one point and was in need of forgiveness. Rather that full obedience to the Father's will took him to the cross. Fully obeying God meant walking that road and dying. And so Christ's purpose, it says in the Bible in John, was his whole purpose was coming down from heaven to do the Father's will, full obedience to the calling of the Father. And what Jesus did learn in his humility was that, the full costly measure of obedience. Full and unwavering allegiance to the mission of God the Father. And because you and I, he calls us his treasured possession. Did you know that? The Lord says of you that you are his treasured possession. And the words of the Apostle Paul say this, you're not your own. You were bought at a price, the great price of the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You were bought at a price. And then he says, therefore, honor God with your life. It seems appropriate because honoring the one who died for me, it seems like an appropriate response to that act, to that willingness to die for my sin. And so my question is this, what does a full obedience look like and mean to you? Remember, Jesus uh, defined loving as obeying. So what does obeying mean for you today? I think that when we come to Christ uh, and we ask for his forgiveness, that he actually gives it and that we're actually saved from death and the final consequence of sin and uh, that he saves us from hell. Now, consider Jesus' words in Matthew 11. He said this, he said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. My question is, are you weary? Are you burdened? By your sin. If, if you are, this is his appeal for us to respond to our deepest spiritual need, 
to accept this offer of forgiveness by no longer carrying this load of guilt and shame. And as we surrender daily, the verse goes on and it says, surrender daily, we take Christ's yoke upon us, the yoke of discipline, and we learn from him and we obey him when we, and we begin to express this sincere gratitude and this loving thankfulness to Christ. So how is he calling you today? How is he calling you now to express your loving thankfulness to him in this way by obeying him? Perhaps obedience means the practical giving of your time. We saw a video at the start of the service talking about SR kids needing volunteers. Is there an obedience issue there? There could be if the Lord's calling you to work with children and tell them about him. It could be an obedience issue for you. Maybe it's serving in the church in another way. Maybe it's volunteering with a ministry like the Gateway of Hope. Perhaps it's getting involved in something, our new outward initiative with Southridge and James Hill Elementary School, where a group of volunteers from our church and from the community will go and feed children breakfast at James Hill. Maybe obedience to God is about deepening your relationship connection to him by renewing your commitment to spend time in his word daily, to pray daily, to actually have a set-aside time where the Lord speaks to you through it, because he does speak. I started reading this Bible, this Bible, this actual Bible, more than 20 years ago, when my sister gave it to me for being in her wedding. The only reason I started reading it was because I thought it was the appropriate way to honor the gift. I had no intent. I just started, that's a weird thing, right? Okay, I'll read the Bible. But I did, I started reading it. And God had other plans for that other than my just honoring my sister for having spent the money on it. God had other plans for what my time in this book meant. It's actually this, the, what started the process of me coming to faith. Um, possibly he wants you to agree with God, with him, with him, that your sin issue, the one you're thinking of now, the one I'm thinking of now for me, Possibly he just wants us to agree that it's actually a sin and to stop dismissing it as not that really big of a deal when you compare it to so-and-so. Remember, our obedience isn't about our neighbor. Our obedience is about us and our connection to God. Could it be that he wants you to better protect your marriage because there's a relationship with a person at work that's it's crossed over from friendly to flirtatious and now it's unhealthy? Could it be that he wants you to pull back from that and establish healthy boundaries? Could it be that he wants you to stop dating your boyfriend or your girlfriend because the relationship doesn't lead you closer to God. It actually pulls you away. Could it be that the relationship is abusive and God says, I wanna set you free from that? Could it be that your physical boundaries are no boundaries at all, that you could drive a truck through them? We can't honor God if we're not sexually pure, right? This is what his word says. Maybe he wants us to trust him to become a short-term missionary. Maybe he's saying, I want you to go to Italy and serve with a team in Italy. Maybe he wants you to, uh, to help convey the love of Christ in another culture or another country. Maybe he wants you to give to a missions organization like GAIN or Fellowship International because not only do they do humanitarian work, but they actually take the gospel to people and they tell people about Jesus Christ. Could it be that he's calling you to love people more deeply in his name and to set aside feelings of hurt or pain or anger over things done to you in the past? Forgiveness. I know all about forgiveness, both the need to forgive and the need to be forgiven. As a referee, you get called some things. 25 years of refereeing hockey, I've been called, you name it, you, you imagine it, I've been called it. I've had social media attacks. And then there was this. Watch the screen. Watch my head, that's me. Two years ago, Valentine's Day. No, no good reason for that. He wasn't mad at me, I just happened to be there and he launched me into the boards. I'm, I'm, it took time to get over that. And forgiveness wasn't the first thing that popped onto my radar. 
But the Lord's got me there. We've moved past that. We've put that to bed. Physically, not so much. I, I still, I'm still healing from the physical aspect of that. But uh, here's the thing. When we choose to forgive others, we model and we share his grace in the same way it was shown with us. By setting that guy free from what he did to me, I actually show him how God has set me free from what I've done to him. Now, wherever you're at with the examples I've shared today and whatever God's specific call on you, I would say this. My guess is that, that God would love more time with you. My guess is that he, if you would set aside time for conversation with him and, and spend some time in your Bible and pray with him, that he would begin to speak truth into your life and into your heart. And, that, and actually, we're going to look at that more next week when we talk about uh, what, what it means to listen to God. And listening comes from spending time with him. Now, maybe your situation's different. Maybe the things that I've covered so far don't apply to you at all. Because perhaps you haven't considered or resolved the question yet, who is Jesus? Since we're here today, I'd suggest that perhaps he's been working on your heart for a while um, and your level of belief for a while now, and that uh, he's calling you in spite of your unanswered questions and your lingering doubts to place your faith in him, to come to faith in Jesus. Not that you're suddenly going to have all your questions answered. I've been a Christian for a number of years, uh, and I still have lots of questions, probably more now than I did when I started out. But when you place your faith in Christ, he'll give you what you can't give yourself. He'll give you this thing that you can't give yourself. You can't forgive yourself. He'll give you forgiveness. And more than that, the Bible says that the promise that he made to us is eternal life, a life with God in eternity, meaning that we also receive freedom from death the delayed consequence of our sin. So my hope for you as someone who is, is, is still on the journey of learning what it means to fully submit to God in my own life, my hope for you is that you will see and you will experience Jesus and that you will come to understand forgiveness and that you will be more attracted to following him and obeying him because when you start to obey him, he helps you deal with your sin and you begin to enjoy a life of full obedience, being doing, going, giving, and serving in his name. And he uses that obedience to do two things. One, to affect our world for good. And two, to draw others to himself. Because they look at us and they see a genuine, authentic, lived out faith. And they say, that has to be real. Nothing else explains a transformed life. I no longer... Uh, no, no surprise here. I no longer officiate professional hockey. I no longer officiate high-level hockey. I've had my opportunities. I'm great, grateful for them. What I do now is I continue to be involved with BC hockey and junior hockey to help train and equip and mentor officials. I supervise for BC hockey to help them move along to, to have opportunities and move them along to maybe possibly junior hockey, hopefully someday professional careers. And one of the things I try to teach referees about the use of authority and requiring obedience from players is that you'll have more success if you uh, nurture obedience rather than aggressively, harshly, oppressively demand it. Because it's hard to obey a referee who only wants to smack you with the rule book. It's hard to respect a referee who only wants to whack you with the rules. And so you, we have to nurture trusting and communicative relationships. Otherwise, it stays distant and it remains, um, what's the term? Uh, adversarial if we're not approachable as officials. There's a time to kind of drop the hammer and say, hey, enough. 
But there's a whole lot of nurture that has to happen if we're going to get obedience. And nurturing has to begin with the referee because the referee is the authority. And so the referee has to establish healthy communication with the coaches and the players because ultimately what we want is for the game to be played safely and fairly. Ultimately what we want is a, is a fierce competition that respects the opponent and everybody to go home with their limbs intact. And so we work at relationship, at building credibility and earning trust from coaches and players. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's not gonna work. Otherwise, we're gonna have to resort to penalties as punishment. Now, the truth is I can hand out penalties like they're candy and I've been known to do so. I've had games where there were 300 penalty minutes. That's a lot. But it's not the desired approach if we can get obedience another way, if we can get compliance to the rules by building relationship and encouraging and saying, hey, I need you to stop doing that, right? I call it the one minute penalty. I don't send every guy or girl who commits an infraction to the box, we have a chat. And oftentimes, here's the problem. People take the view of God as the referee. He just wants to put on the jersey, smack on the helmet, pick up the whistle and whack you with the rule book. But I don't think that's what's going on in our story today. I don't think that's accurate because Jesus wouldn't have come to earth if he just wanted to rule because the place he inhabited before, he could rule from there. I think Jesus came to earth to do the hard work of establishing the relationship with us, to do the hard work of living out his life so that a dialogue between us and him would happen. I think that if we ask and if we believe and we trust him, that we will begin to live life the way he intended, obediently. I think when we do, we're blessed by him. I think we're given a freedom that is not unlike that which was intended for Adam and Eve in the garden, to walk daily with the Lord, to be provided for, to have fellowship, sweet fellowship in the presence of God with him. I think that life with God can be more like that when we obey. Unfortunately, disobedience got them expelled from the garden. Unfortunately, disobedience meant for us the death of Christ. Unfortunately, disobedience continues to mean damage to our relationships. But the Bible says this of Jesus in Ephesians. It says that he is the source of all spiritual blessing from God. Will you press into Jesus? Will you look to him? Will you obey him? As the praise team comes this morning to lead us out, uh, I'm gonna pray. Join me if you will. Father, thanks for the day. God, every one of us here, we've had the opportunity this morning to reflect on some level of disobedience in our own lives, some way that we have hurt others and disobeyed you. And, uh, and Lord, you call that sin, and we want to confess that this morning. We want to agree with you that we are indeed sinners, that we're in need of saving, and that because of grace from you to us, through Jesus and his life and his death on the cross, that you've made this available to us. And so, Lord, for those of us who are following Jesus, I pray that we would wake up every day and ask ourselves, start the day by saying, how can I obey you more fully? How can I love you more deeply? How can I honor Jesus, my Lord, today? What I do, what I say, where I go. Lord, for those of us who aren't believers, I pray that you would begin to work as you've already begun to do so, that you would continue to speak to hearts and minds, that you would draw people to yourself, that we would look at Jesus at the price that was paid for us, that it would cause a stir and a discontent, and that nothing would lead to peace until we come to faith, Lord. And so we pray that for those today who are considering Jesus and his message of redemption and forgiveness for sin. Lord, we love you. We wanna praise you in our words now. And so God, continue to do business with us as we sing if there's obedience issues that you're calling us to address, that you're calling us to share with others, that we would do that today, Lord, in humble obedience to you, in Christ's name, amen.